Whoever said that there's nothing new under the sun didn't foresee this composer's entry into the world. Despite his classical training and performing alongside some of jazz's greats, he insists on carving his own lane in creating a new genre-bending musical style, millennial jazz. Braxton Cook and his band, The New, are here tonight to bring you some of his innovative singing, songwriting, and saxophone instrumentation from not his first, not his second, but his third release. I'm your host, Kenyatta Beasley, and stay right where you are because Braxton Cook is here to bring us his one-of-a-kind sound right here on B-Side. Braxton, welcome to B-Side, man. If, uh, if you could take a second, could you introduce this fabulous band? Yeah, first, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you guys for coming out. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, on guitar, so it's Andrew Renfro right here. Yeah. Um, incredible guitarist. So Andrew's actually he's from Jupiter, Florida. Yeah, he's from Jupiter, Florida, super soulful. And um, we met at Juilliard, actually, uh, at our time there. He was like a master's student while I was doing undergrad. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess I met the both of them, actually, at school, kind <laughs> of in a practice room. And ever since then, I just heard him play. And I think he kind of, he come from that like Hartford kind of, Hartford, Connecticut sound where Jackie Mack, mm -hmm. Jack McLean, very popular saxophonist mm -hmm. who plays really hard and real soulful. Right. And they kind of come from that school, which I really dug. Right. So I kind of gravitated towards that and knew like, I had to have that sound kind of in the band. Cool. Um, cool. And then like, yeah, likewise, same with Tabor. Tabor, you, you from Tennessee? Yeah, Knoxville. Yeah, from Knoxville. So um, another super soulful kind of incredible uh, musician. Um, obviously well trained. You got, they just both got their masters from Juilliard. Uh, super amazing. So yeah, give it up for Table Gable. Yeah, man. This dude on bass, Tamir Schmerling from Israel, right? 
by way of, I don't know, Boston, uh, Berkeley, yeah, studied at Berkeley College of Music. Okay. And I met him just in that, the New York, you know, music scene. We ended up touring we, in, a, in a couple bands. We played with this dude, Tomohiro, yeah. and there's a, another pianist, his name is Takeshi Obayashi. Mm -hmm. Super amazing. And yeah, we toured in Japan a couple times a year. Um, and it's a pleasure to have him. He's obviously an incredible upright bassist, but like you never really get to hear him on electric, mm -hmm. so he crushes it on this gig. Awesome. It's a pleasure to have him. Yeah. On drums from from Texas, but from Houston. Yeah, Jeremy Dutton is uh, seriously one of the baddest drummers I know. Like he's like younger than all of us. He's like ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> I met him at, uh, bro, I met you at New School. Yeah, so like my first week in New York, we were just trying to, everyone's playing a couple of these jam sessions, you know? Right. And uh, somebody called me for this jam session down at New School, and I was like, sure, I'll go. And Jeremy must be like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old, just killing it on this session. And ever since then, I was like, yo, I have to play with him, because he's just kind of, something about his feel, like, is, I just love it. You're originally from? I'm from the D.C. area. From the D.C. area, Silver mm -hmm. Spring, Maryland. Silver Spring, right? Maryland, yeah. You weren't a graduate of the, uh, the Ellington no, I I, uh, I went to high school in Springbrook High School in Silver Spring, Maryland. So like Montgomery County is kind of yeah. like northwest of the city, kind of. Right. And then after that, I, kinda, I went to Georgetown University actually. Oh, you were English? Yeah, I was an English, English major. major. So yeah. how, wait, so, so the, the transition between English major right. to jazz musician? Yeah, I guess I, I kind of got into jazz a little a little later. I mean, I was always into music, yeah. play piano, sang, and all this stuff, and mm -hmm. musical theater too. We'll get to that. Yeah, I was. I was Willy Wonka back in the day. Mus like, musical oh yeah, for real, theater. yeah. I'm, I'm, looking, know, I'm looking forward to I it. I did uh, Jean Valjean back in, in Les Mis. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So anyways, uh, <laughs> as soon as I, like around ninth grade, Wynton Marsalis came to my high school. Okay. Did this amazing master class. Right. It was ridiculous. So he, we're playing a big band, we're playing It Don't Mean a Thing, Duke Ellington tune, right? And he plays trumpet, which is in a whole nother key than my instrument. And he came through and read everybody's music. Um, he read through like, you know, the baritone, tenors, also right, told us how to play it, right. transposing on, right. on, the spot. on the spot. Then like got in on piano, was like, this is how you come. Then on bass, and also, you know, he, he rolled up in like this limo that morning. I'll never forget that. He's like, you rolled up in a limo with this dope suit and like all the paparazzi, Washington Post, everybody was there. So it was kind of, you know, I, the glamour of it was lit. Then like, obviously the integrity of the music when he got on stage, like I was like, wow, he can really back this up. He's ridiculous. Wait, so did that moment kind of influence your, your, your passion? Oh, totally, totally. Like I was just in jazz band, it was fun to do. Uh -huh. You know, truthfully, I, I wanted to get out of doing marching band. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah let me get, I was like, yeah. let me get in the jazz band, right. you know? And I think like my ninth grade year when Wynton came to the school and kind of just did that master class, I was just like, yo, I want to do that. As a kid, when you see somebody just kind of, you know, fully encapsulate everything you think you want to do or right. have, right. Um, yeah, I was just like, all right, great. I want to get a saxophone teacher. I want to study this music. I want to do that, you know? Well, so literally um, that, that, that was a, a very yeah, pivotal those, moment. It was one of those moments for sure. Yeah, like 14, 15 or something like that. Back to your, your your journey <laughs> towards New York, oh, right? From English major mm -hmm. to Georgetown. So I'm assuming at that point, back in high school, the commitment to jazz because it does take a certain kind of commitment. Oh, for sure. Um, and I'm assuming that as, as college approached, you said, okay, Georgetown, which is an accomplishment by itself. For sure. So what led you to say, you know what, I'm gonna drop this, and I'm gonna go to Juilliard, and I'm gonna move up to the big city, oh, right? And and study jazz. It was really, it was some friends of mine. It was a, a bass player, Josh Crumbly, 
uh, also plays with us, and then uh, pianist who's also on the album. His name's Samora Penderhughes. Mm -hmm. And I remember, yeah, they called me on my birthday. They were like, yo, there's an opening. I think you should apply. Right. So yeah, my second year at Georgetown, not that I was miserable there, I just couldn't find what I wanted. I was, I was jumping around majors. You know, I picked English. I wanted to minor in like African-American studies and I found a lot of connection, at least between African-American studies and jazz. And, and I felt like there was something that filled that sustenance a little bit, but it right. wasn't it. So when Samora and Josh called me, I was like, oh, you know what? This must be a sign. Let me give this a shot. So I right. applied to transfer. Just one school. It was like, if I get into Juilliard, you know, I'll go. Right. So I got in. Yeah, they gave me a full scholarship and everything. They matched the scholarship I had at Georgetown. Right. My dad's a law professor at Georgetown. So me and my brothers, we both went, but we had full tuition. So I kind of used that when I was sitting there with the admission board at Juilliard, like, yo, Georgetown gave me full I'm going to need something. And leverage. Then Juilliard, exactly, leverage, it's business. Yeah, and then they came through and they were like, we got you. So once you got to Juilliard and you started experiencing the scene, I, I've, I've seen your name come up in a lot of different situations mm -hmm. as a leader and sideman. Mm -hmm. As a sideman, tell me about, like, what, what have been some of the more, like, some of the, some of the gigs and performances that you've had that have had the most impact on your career or your, your musical development so far? Definitely my stint with Christian Scott, his trumpet player from New uh, Orleans. From New Orleans. Yeah. So yeah, Christian is an amazing trumpet player, uh, nephew of Donald, uh, Harrison. Donald Harrison, amazing saxophonist. Um, I met him at a gig uh, at Symphony Space, like 96th Street, and I uh, just went backstage hanging out, and he was like, yo, I like this dude. Kind of, We just kind of hit it off, and he hit me up for a few gigs, and then four years later, you know, here we are. But that was probably my longest stint as a sideman. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much from just touring the world with him, learning how to balance that with school, like Christmas what's, got definitely. What's interesting is that you guys, I mean, not saying that one has ownership of whatever the, the style of music that you play, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, I'm hearing the term millennial jazz. Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, and it's almost like this new rebranding of jazz and it's a new sound. It's definitely not from the tradition. So, mm -hmm. And it's something that when I've heard Christian's records and I've heard what you've been playing tonight in your material, mm. how do you define millennial jazz to like an audience? Oh man, really, it's, it, it isn't that deep. Christian calls his music stretch music. Right. I, I mean, I think a majority of this, we're in a music industry as a business and I think some of it, at least on that level, is just marketing and rebranding right. and a business thing to just right. you know, give viewers, you know, so there is that. Um, but. Gosh, I don't even like labeling music. I just like to play the music I like. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question, I call it that because one, yeah, we're all millennials. But two, because I feel like our generation, uh, we just grew up with, with so much, with, right. you know, with technology. We grew up with access to so much music. Like I said, I grew up on you know, soul music and, and, and then obviously I had jazz in the house, mm -hmm. uh, like you know, some classical music. And then with the access to the internet, you can, you could get something immediately. So I feel like the, we process things, our generation, like very quickly. Mm -hmm. And we kind of assimilate all those things into our sound. It's all kind of in there. Um, cool. And I feel like that's kind of what separates us from, from other generations in that sense. It's just like, we just have so much information. I'm not ranking it, it's just different. No, it's just different. It's, it's just different. And, and, and it's basically- And it doesn't seem weird to me. Someone's like, why are you singing on tracks? I'm like, why not? I want to. And it's not, why not? it's not that deep. But you know what I mean? Because previous generations are kind of stuck in that dogmatic sense of, oh, well, this is jazz and this is R&B, that it feels weird to incorporate other things. So basically, it, I mean, it, so to, to throw you a, throw you a bone here, please. I mean, so maybe it's like you, this is the kind of music that just can't really be classified. I don't know, man. I, I just want to, you know, I just play the music I like, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like cats like Herbie, you know, Herbie's been doing this for, 
since the 70s. Yeah. It ain't that new, yeah. but we just, do, we just do our spin on it. You do sing. Correct. Oh yeah, I dabble. And what? Yeah. And what? What? <laughs> you dabble. Explain like the dabbling and like how did you get to this <laughs> point to where hey, you know what? I'm about to start singing off our records. All right. Wait, here was, here it, I am, world. Like anything else, it was a process. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I mean, I sang in honors chorus and and musical theater kind of coming up. Right. And it was just something to, to do, like you know, to add to my resume, so I could get into Georgetown. I was like, oh yeah, I'm in all these th all these things. It was just like you know, we everybody in, and plus everyone in my family. Everyone kind of sings, plays a little piano. Yeah. It's just kind of what it is. I don't know. Um, but I think a lot of how it got incorporated into my music now is really due to, I don't know, getting out of school and clearing my head about what it is I really want to be doing. Would I be happy just playing straight ahead? No. Would I be happy just doing R&B? Yeah. No, not really. I feel like, oh, I'm not getting to what I want to get to. So it's like, why not just blend the two and make a lane where I feel complete? My music is some, it's somewhere between these genres that so many people say that needs to sound like this or something mm -hmm. like that. And for me, um, I find a lot of people in our age group, in our, in our generation, particularly people that went to Juilliard from our class, all my friends were interested in other things and just a lot of people just wouldn't do it. I don't know if it's fear. I don't know if, I don't know what it is. To me it was like, yeah, if you're a DJ or you produce, you should produce. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you like to make house tracks, you should do that. Maybe you can incorporate piano with it. It didn't, you know, it was never like too weird to me. And I think some of that is my background in the house, in my, you know, that my household. Right, right. Then also my experience at Georgetown, going to a normal college. Cool. So then coming to a conservatory, I, I kind of was like, wait, we can do, we should be able to do whatever. Cool. So yeah, after being out of school for two years, just getting back to that. And this song, somewhere in between, is kind of trying to encapsulate that idea. Somewhere, 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 Tell us a little about um, about uh, about this new record, the third as a lead. oh yeah the third yeah third project. I'm calling it like the first debut actual album um, because we have like an actual label that we found. This is a really dope label out in the West Coast called Fresh Selects, and um, they have artists like Amon Amari, Mind Designs, super cool. Like, I guess more Spotify, SoundCloud type artists on there, but. Mm -hmm. They're just like thinking about streams and the future of this music. So like, I'm really happy about that. And the album, it, it features Andrew Renfro, Joshua Crumley, bad bass player. He plays with Terrence Blanchard, um, Jonathan Pinson, uh, Matisse Picard, mm -hmm. cast I went to school with, you know, homies and friends. And yeah, it's like, I'm super excited about it coming out. And we have more stuff that's, you know, more music that we're working on, workshop and new music. You know, this stuff we've been working on for like a year now, but. Back to that, uh, what, what, we, what we left oh, off snap. before what we went to that. What you're playing has so many different styles, it really can't be defined. I, th mm. I find that to be like quite an advantage because you, you can't be defined and when you need to make a, your next move, you can probably go into a different direction. Man. Mm. I think that's a kind of a, um, what separates today's musicians from past you know, generations. Is, is that, do you share that same sentiment? I agree with that. I mean, do I feel like I'm not in any one direction? Is that what you're saying? Like it's uh... Yeah, it's like open. It's like kind of open to interpretation. 
sure, I guess I can't really be mad at that or not, you know, that's sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I'm not necessarily saying I'm, I'm anything, I'm just me. Right, right. Cool. So, so but, yeah, sure. So tell us about, a little about the next song that we're going to hear. Oh, Runaway. So this, this, is, um, this is like a love song I wrote. I wrote this on the road actually with Chris when I was like um, touring with Christian, mm -hmm. and like I'm in like a f I've been dating my girlfriend like four years now, and this song kind of came out of uh, just that place of frustration when you've just been away for six seven months on the road trying to keep things going, and um, and people getting tired of dealing with Skype and FaceTime. Wait and wait everything. so wait this was this I wrote about, this song. I wrote this, this song for about, someone. This is for, I wrote this. It's just that experience. I'm just trying to keep a relationship together while you're on the road. I'm still with my girl. We got through it. It was everything. Everything's amazing. Don't, <laughs> get, don't get me wrong. But yeah, that's where it came from. I was on. I was just in a hotel room, uh, and I was just like, damn. Oh, excuse me. I can't curse. I was like, darn. <laughs> and wait, how about shucks? <laughs> I was like, yeah, shucks. G. Exactly. And uh, that's yeah. That's where it came out of. I think. I think a lot of the songs come from an emotional place for me cool. um, yeah somewhere was a frustration with finding my direction um, the first song FJYD was my frustrations with um, juggling school and touring and life and just New York City yeah. um, it was like a not a F Juilliard thing but just kind of it was like a love-hate relationship I have with the institution of jazz I guess mm -hmm. and that's kind of where FJYD came from <laughs> yeah I guess everything comes from a feeling I'm like it oh, annoys me then I write something or like oh I love this I think that's a, the first place to start writing a song. It connects with people. And yeah. I've met people all over that are like, whoa, that song. Like, Actually, someone emailed me about somewhere in between. Actually, it was a, a transgender uh, saying that that song in the lyrics spoke to, her, uh, okay. spoke to her in that way. And I was like, wow. With just trying to discover herself and her identity. And I was like, that's, that's deep. Powerful. Right. Powerful. Can we run away to some place far away? Just you and me. Can we run away? Can we run away to some place far away? Darling, can we run away? You're working with like a lot of great artists. Um, if you can pick like a really great collaboration, as of right now, what 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 kind of a uh, kind of thing would you do? Oh man, there's so many people I love to work with. I guess in the in the R in the R and B pop world, I mean, I'd love to work with Andre Benjamin, Pharrell. Mm -hmm. I'd love to work with. I mean, Solange. My brother plays with Solange, but I want I need to make that happen. Um, what does your brother play? He plays guitar. Okay. Yeah, uh, he's played, he's been in, in her band for like four or five years. Right. Uh, and then I, in the shoot in the jazz world, oh my gosh, I always wanted to play. I always wanted to play with Roy Haynes and, and Louis Hayes, uh, just because of the amazing alto players like Charlie Parker who played with Roy Haynes. Cannonball. Cannonball. You already know. So yeah, all my favorite guys that play with those drummers. Most yeah. Um, and then I mean Glasper would be lit. I, I think I'm working with them with the in the big band. I'm doing this thing with Revive. Right. Uh, big band. I saw you earlier. But it'd be today. another it thing like to like really get to play with them. Yeah, that'd be dope. So as far as um, you're on your third record, your, your first two records, how would you describe the growth as far as pro the production, the compositions, the thought oh, that right. has actually like gotten you to this third record? Like, what have you learned so far about the entire recording? Process? I found that as an artist, you just need to kind of, if you really want to hold true to your vision, you kind of need to learn a little bit of everything. So that's been a process. Like, 
uh, I've been, you know, doing production a little bit on the side ever since high school. Yeah. From Garage Band to Logic to like, so like when we first went in the studio, I made a track of every song, kind of made a, a track of my own. Um, so somewhere, you know, used to have a beat on it. Right. It went like boom. You know, it was like I had like actual production, so I made a whole track. The pre-production. The pre-production of the, pre-production, yeah, yeah, of the yeah. album, and then sent that to the band and like, all right, let's rework this and figure out how we can do this acoustic. Um, so that helped with figuring out how I want the drum part to go, how I want every piece to fit. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, I used to, like on the first two projects, I just wrote chords and a melody and just figured it out. This way, I, I feel more hands-on. So you're happy, um, that you have, you're happy with this new record that's coming out? I definitely am. I feel like, yeah, also somewhere in between, yeah. I, I called the album that just because I wanted to sonically fit in between the first two projects. So Sketch. Um, I recorded 2013 was more of like a acoustic, typical straight ahead modern New York kind of sounding. The Butcher Brown project that I put out 2015 was all groove bass, oh like you know, hella reverb, all this distortion, super 70s sounding, right. uh, with a lot of compression on everything. Right. Um, so I, I kind of tried to find a blend between the two. So in this in on this album, like the horns. And the guitar, everything sounds really light and, and free. Uh, but I put a bunch of compression on like drums and mm-hmm. and, and the bass is real heavy. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have a little bit of both of that modern kind of sounding right. sweet airiness on top of like that hard country kind of bass. Did you mix this record yourself as uh, well? I've been through a lot of mixing sessions. It's been a process. I mean, we recorded this last April and it's just now coming out. Right. So it, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of mixing and mastering and redoing things. And I learned a lot. What, what kind of advice would you pass on to... Uh, I think I've reached that voice. I've reached that place in my life. Where I oh, say, yeah. You're so young musicians, man. What, what, what kind of advice? Somebody knew the game. It's funny. No, I feel you because people, it, it's wild. People hit me up now all the time in the Instagram and like, hey, man, what are you playing on? What are you practicing, man? Like, I want to, you're such an inspiration. I want to sound like you. And I'd be like, I feel you, but I still feel like, you know, if you want to play the saxophone, you still got to check out the masters. Like, I'm by in no way a master. I'm like, this is my, like, a thing I'm doing. But I still listen to Charlie Parker, I still listen to Train, I still transcribe, I still check out all that stuff. So besides the Giants, um, who you're like your main, the, the people who really uh, influenced your, your musical path so far? I mean, I mean, it, and that could be from like the people that you've worked with mm-hmm. or whatever you've checked out. Like what, what's been your, like, your, your big inspiration so far? Oh, Train. John Cole, I mean, did you get a side from the big, the big guys? Yeah, I mean, well, you could throw Train in there. Well, I mean, yeah, John, John, yeah, John Coltrane, anybody know, y'all know John Coltrane, obviously. Yeah, he's What about he's right now? Still. And we were just talking about, like, 1965 at the half note, like, puts me in, I'm in tears, man. Okay. Like, if I want to talk about you, it's, it's crazy. For, well, how about living people? Oh, living, my bad. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, Kenny Garrett's always been a super amazing inspiration as right. far as, like, someone who found a sound and, like, business-wise, who found a lane and really milked that that playing with Miles Davis and turned that into a thing and sustained it for so long right. and influenced a whole generation. You know, not so much like I'm sitting here trying to transcribe Kenny like I did in high school, but more so, like, <laughs> Analyzing it, like, yeah, the business of it, how he did that, how he managed to stay relevant that long. Mm-hmm. Um, like his, his look, his album covers, all that stuff that goes into it that cats, most people don't think about. I feel like that has a lot to do with why he's like, so, like, like, in the jazz world, iconic in that sense, you know? And Christian thinks that, that way, you know? Yeah. The look of things in addition to the substance of the music. Mm-hmm. 
wish we could stay longer, but I hope that you've enjoyed this taste of Braxton Cook's exceptional sound. Thank you, Braxton, for opening new doors for us. Be sure to check out Braxton's new album, Somewhere In Between, wherever you buy or stream music. And you can also keep up with Braxton Cook on social media at Braxton Cook. I'm Kenyatta Beasley, and I hope that you had a great time with us tonight. Make sure that you stop by our Brick House studio every Thursday to hear more of the best music that Brooklyn has to offer. You can also check out tonight's installments and past episodes anytime at youtube.com slash BrickTV or check out our Brick Radio podcast of this episode at soundcloud.com slash BrickRadio. The B-Side Podcast is produced by Charlie Hoxie, Keisha Cole, Roe Johnson, and Sasha Mathias. Recorded by Onel Mulet and edited by Kyrell Palmer. For more information about B-Side and all Brick Radio podcasts, check out brickartsmedia.org slash radio.